Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Palace Way podcast. I'm Alex, and I'm pleased to welcome Liam back to the podcast. It's been a few weeks, mate. How have you been? Yeah, good, man. Thanks. Yeah, I'm uh, glad to be back. You know, schedules got in the way a bit, and I seem to have missed one of the most exciting weeks in, you know, recent Palace history, but glad to be able to talk about it now. No, exactly. I mean, we need your thoughts on that, so we'll get onto that later. But I mean, it's been a few episodes. I feel like we've really missed you to help sift through the storm of of the sort of positive chaos that we've had over the last few weeks. So yeah, really looking forward to speaking with you today. Um, and I, I feel like I've set this up quite badly because I feel like it's going to make Bobby sound really flat, which is not the case, Bobby. We really love you. We're uh, we're glad to welcome you back to the pod again. So obviously, you guys are probably familiar with Bobby now. He's uh, he's an ever present like Liam. Um, but Bobby is obviously our senior editor here at the Palace Way. How are you been, Bobby? Yeah, not so bad. Um, been to quite a few games in the last couple of weeks. Got um, Palace under-21s game on the background as we're recording this and obviously looking forward to the Maidstone game this evening and, and things are looking on the up for Palace. So it, it's really lifted my mood, certainly. No, good stuff. We're right in the middle of recording. It looks like Danny Emery's already put us a goal up. Um, hopefully we can keep some momentum there and uh, by the time this goes out, get a result. But, you know, <laughs> nothing's guaranteed in football, but... One thing that was guaranteed is there was plenty of excitement going into the Burnley game. You know, we've obviously had all this managerial chaos. We've had Glasner finally in. We've had this saga, chapter closed, new one beginning and so on. Um, but expectations were high. You know, it was a really important game. But before we even get into this, Liam, um, I want to welcome you back by bringing you in a bit on Glasner, just briefly. Um, I know we've mentioned that we've talked about him at length in the past on the last couple of episodes, but I'd be really good to hear your thoughts particularly on him because we haven't really heard from you yet. Well, I'll be honest, when these links first started coming through, it felt very much a case of too good to be true. You know, we're being leveraged for, you know, maybe the West Ham job if it became available, stuff like that. Um, So I was sort of tempering my expectations a bit. But as time went on and it, you know, he started popping up things like the Spurs game that he was watching and, you know, it all became, you know, all became very real. I I, I got very excited, as I'm sure most people did. You know, I'm blown away by his CV walking into walking into Sellers. You know, he feels almost overqualified in regards to, you know, what he did with Lask. You know, I think that's a really underrated part of his CV because obviously Frankfurt takes the headlines within the Europa League there. But, you know, he really just improved Lask as a whole, you know, top to bottom as a club from where they were when he came in to where they are now. Um, I think that's a real testament to him and, and the coaching staff that he's brought across with him, which I think is a massive positive as well. I can't claim to know a lot about, you know, each individual and, you know, what they're good at, what they're not good at as coaches. But I think it's a major positive that we've committed fully to, you know, the whole Glasner project per se. Um, so I was very excited by him coming in and then, you know, all the interviews and stuff he did, everything that's been coming out of the club before the game on Saturday, I thought was just, you know, really positive. I thought his first impression was excellent. The the comment he made that went sort of Palace Twitter viral about how, uh, you know, everyone gets into football to celebrate goals with their mates. You know, I read that out to, to my dad and we were both like, well, yeah, well, of course. It was one of those things that as soon as you read it, you go, of course it was. But you don't think about it because we've all, you know, Generally, you don't think about it, but also as Palace fans, I feel like we've sort of been hammered into us case of, you know, football, Premier League football's got to be more of a sort of workman, like get in, get out, make sure we get what we need per season situation. But it, it really felt like Glasner was coming in with sort of a, a mentality change more than anything else. You know, I, I know the tactics will come and, you know, we saw a bit of that on Saturday, but I think 
what felt like the biggest change, both on, you know, at the game and also, you know, leading up to it was an attitude change, a mentality change. And I think that's, you know, resulted in a mood change around the club. You know, I, I can't remember us being this positive and it's been what, a week, a week and one win. So I'm very impressed early doors. Um, I think his, his first impression has been excellent and I'm very excited. A very upbeat monologue there. I think you really echo the sentiment of most fans. Um, but I think there was always a caveat in that between, you know, the Burnley game and the Everton game, you know, we'd only had three training sessions that really wasn't a lot of time to stamp down authority. So, Bobby, I'll bring you in here. I mean, just briefly, was Burnley a must win despite the expectations being kind of reduced for someone who's had so little time with the squad? Was this still vital that we really pick up three points and was there an expectation that Glasner would do it? Yeah, I think it was the definition of must win, I must admit. Um, if they would have lost that game, the pressure would have been on from day one on Oliver Glasner. Um, I think the most important thing for him was to see a performance from the team and, and they did that and I thought they executed his game plan really well. I thought um, both fullbacks did very well, in, um, especially Mitchell in a role that he's not played very often in that um, left of the three. Um, so I thought that was good. And I thought the early signs were quite encouraging, but the game was certainly must win because Palace lose that and they're staring down the bat, uh, barrel of uh, what a three-point gap, four-point gap to the relegation zone. Uh, admittedly, Luton didn't play. Um, so yeah, it, it, they had to win that game against a very poor Burnley side and they did exactly what they needed to do. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of uncertainty at the moment, given recent news with Everton and Forest, you know, possible points deductions in the offings there. You know, we've had some kind of refund for Everton. But again, there's talk that additional charges are going to result in a potential further deduction. You know, we'll see what happens. Um, again, I'm going to caveat that by saying that we're recording on the 26th for Feb. So, you know, it's a fast moving situation. Things change, blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, the club can't be relying on, you know, rules and, and profit and sustainability legislation to, to get them out of a pitch. You know, we have to take a responsibility and onus as a club. And to a very small degree as a fan base, I know we're not on the pitch, but, you know, we have to back the team now that we've got what we wanted, essentially, which was a change in identity and direction. And we need to repay that. Um, but just in terms of, you know, the overall top level stats from that game, it kind of speaks for itself. I mean, just the really basic stuff here. 55 percent possession, six shots on target, 15 overall. Our XG was the highest we've had since the 3-1 win over Villa at home in 2022. I mean, it's been a long time since we've had attacking football of this nature. Um, Liam, I'll bring you in here. I mean, from a from a set point going into this game, I mean, how did you think Palace really set up and how do you think the mentality showed from the get-go? Yeah, I think the, I think the mentality shift was evident, you know, early doors. I think there's the ideas were there. Um, even if the quality wasn't going forward, I think we were very controlled um, across the entire game. But the first 45 minutes, we were, you know, well, well, you know, in the driver's seat. And then the red card happened. And, you know, I think that only sort of strengthened our position. And I think you can point to the red card and it being 10 men and sort of go, ah, oh, well, it's 10 men against a, a rubbish side. But you look at, you know, why the red card came to be. And it was the change in mentality. You know, we got on the front foot, we pressed. You know, there's absolutely no chance, even under Vieira, that one of our central midfielders would be, you know, attempting that press on on Brownhill the way Lerma did. And the team massively benefited from it. So I think, like I say, I think there will definitely be things that Glasner will be going back to the team and going, you know, need to improve this, need to improve that. And that would be the case, you know, every week, of course. But I think... Once Franca came on and um, 
I think he's one to talk about because I thought he was excellent. Um, but I thought once he came on, we had a bit of quality up front and then all the ideas seemed to click into place. Whereas I think beforehand it was sort of, you know, three quarters of the way there and then that change happened and it all just seemed to, you know, click into place and we it just worked. You know, quick changes was a theme in many senses. And one thing that really stood out to fans was, of course, set pieces, something that we've been dreadful at all season with. You know, there's not even a debate. We are the worst team in the league for set pieces. And although we didn't score from one, I mean, Chris Richards is open. It almost felt like it was a recycled ball, wasn't it? It felt like a set piece in some ways. Um, but generally, we had 12 corners and looked threatening from most of those routines. Um, it was said, by the way, in the Athletic, as an aside, that it was the priority that Glasner worked on uh, within his first few training sessions. But, Bobby, I'll just bring you quickly back on this and Liam, by all means, you know, jump in and, um, and add, add your own thoughts. But, I mean... Uh, set pieces was, you know, something that really stood out in this game, wasn't it? Yeah, Glasner said it himself in the press conference, actually. He said he had three days in training and the majority of the focus was on set pieces. Um, but yeah, I, th- I thought they looked better. Um, the first one they did was very good, actually. The, the short routine and the ball in the box, I actually thought we probably could have scored, maybe even should have scored. But it, nice, it was nice to see and refreshing to see the ambition to score from set pieces, the, an attack in the box. Uh, we, we committed quite a lot of men forward. I think they only kept Mitchell back for the majority of the set pieces. So it was just refreshing to see a method to score from a set piece, which was absent under Hodgson. Yeah, I, I completely agree with Bobby. And I think the set pieces and the mentality towards set pieces is almost a microcosm of you know, the mentality shift in general, because I think when we were getting corners and set pieces under Roy, um, you know, it's very much a case of, right, okay, trudge up, swing a ball in, nothing's going to happen and trudge back. And I feel like, I, and maybe I can only speak for myself here, but that's what I saw in the players just across 90 minutes in general, sort of, you know, for the majority of this, this campaign before the change, you know, rock up, you know, clock in, clock out, you know, tight mentality and, and, you know, we were suffering because of it. Whereas I feel like now, you know, you saw like Bobby said with the, with the, you know, fairly short routine and, you know, the different ideas, I think that there seemed to be a bit of ambition and a little bit of excitement and the players looked reinvigorated. And I think again, Bobby, you mentioned the athletic talking about the the changes that, that have come, you know, in the sort of three training sessions under Glasner um, but I, I read in the Athletic as well that they said, you know, while there was respect amongst the squad for Roy, and you know, there's no Ill, Ill will seemingly there whatsoever, and nor should there be. There was very much a case of, you know, uh, it gone flat, and I think we were seeing that week in, week out. And when I read that in the Athletic, I sort of went, well, of course. Uh, but you can only really tell once you see the the sort of you know, the change come into place because that was a team that looked like it could run non-stop for them. I guess that's for the most part we did struggle a little bit in added time with fitness, but um, you know we looked like a side that wanted to run, that wanted to attack, that enjoyed its football, and we just didn't have that sort of energy or, or attitude at all for the majority of this season. You know, even when we won, so I think it was. Uh, yeah, the set pieces was a massive positive and I wish we could count that first goal as a, as a set piece goal. But I do think it's reflective of the wider change across the across the squad. What I really liked from the game was, so when defending set pieces as well, there was a real willingness to clear that ball and attack as quickly as possible. So for the penalty, the, the penalty that France have won brilliantly, 
came from their corner uh, corner where the ball was cleared and you had about five or six Palace players just swarm out of their own box, get to the other end of the pitch as quickly as possible, which meant you always had so much support around the players and it allowed Francis to do his thing, emerge into the box and he either had options either side of him, options behind him or force the foul and win the penalty or, or, or obviously shoot a goal, which would have been good as well I, I did think he took a bit too much time but whatever that's irrelevant because he won the penalty so it was just great to see that a, a willingness to get to the other end of the pitch so quickly and and win something whether that's a goal a, a set piece it, it just the actual transition play and the pace of the transition play was good to see if you looked at the average position of the fullbacks let alone the attackers during that game the fullbacks were in the opposition third on average or approaching to it you know, it was a really, really, really stark contrast from what we've been used to. And to the point where you sort of have this attacking five. So I think, like, you make a really good point there for the penalty. Like, that moment stood out. But, I mean, throughout the game, certainly in transition, we had an attacking five. And it was incredibly, incredibly refreshing. Something we've not really seen at Palace for some time. And I actually think Ty is really suited to that attacking five role. Everyone... um Everyone says about how defensive he is and he's a defensive left-back. But actually, he has got the technical ability to capable of playing that attacking role. You, you've seen in games where he has been employed a bit more attacking, um, attacking, which isn't very often, but he's got that great ball across or he's got that dribbling ability. So technically he's a very gifted player and he's just never been allowed to show this side of his game. And I, I was speaking to someone the other day, I, I can't remember if I said it in the last pod, but we're really excited for Ty under Glasner and, and we just think he could unleash that next level of his game. Maybe push the England squad. I, I think that's probably unlikely because I don't think Southgate will pick him, but that's beside the point. But he, he's got a chance to show something very different about his game that he's not had the licence to show. But he's really in abundance and it, it's exciting. He's one of the players I'm most excited to see under Glasner. I, I think as well that I think I totally agree with you there, Bobby. And I think a lot of time people sort of mistake simplicity in Mitchell's game for defensiveness. I think he's a very intelligent player and very sort of disciplined. And I think a lot of time people have sort of pigeonholed him because he's been asked to do this and therefore that's all they see him as. Whereas I totally, I think the, the, you know, I can't remember who it was against. I think it was early on in the season or back end of last season. You know, he put a lovely ball across against Aston Villa. Um, and that was almost like, that was like the one time that he, he was able to sort of maraud a bit. And, you know, you saw the, you know, we bore the fruits of the success, you know, and I think it's definitely something that he has to his game. And while I don't expect him to be, you know, Philip Kostic, I do think he's really capable of that and he just hasn't been asked to do it yet. So I, I completely agree that I think we're definitely going to see a different side to, to Mitchell's game under Glasner. And I think he's really going to Yeah, flourish. I think you hit the nail right on the head when you say discipline. And speaking to people at the club and, and whatnot... I get the real sense that Ty is the character. He's quite a shy character, but he's also a character who will do whatever is told of him. And you talk about with his ability. Mm. And obviously he's been on a remarkable journey from being released by Brentford B to coming into the Panis Academy and then making it as a pro. He, he probably would have never made it as a pro if Palace weren't short for a left back, but he just went in and done an astonishing job. And most of that's down to his mentality. But like I say, he's quite a shy figure, but we'll do what's ever asked of him. And he's just got such a ceiling now to improve and develop under Glasner because he's got the ability. So all it's got to be done is, all he needs to be doing is told, right, you need to be in that position and play the balls across and he'll do it. And I think he'll do a perfect job. He's a player who never drops below a six out of 10. 
mean, you spoke there about development under Glasner, and we know just how important fullbacks are to the system. You know, I touched on it earlier, but it's it's something fans are already aware of. But another duo that really were held back under Roy, we felt, was Franca and Ahamada. And we discussed these two at length on previous episodes. But I think we saw probably their best appearances in a Palace shirt this season, Liam. Is that fair to say? Oh, absolutely, man. Absolutely. Do you know what? I, when I saw Wharton was coming off, I was I was concerned, you know, and that wasn't a, a you know a slight on Ahamada. That was just you know how highly I rate Wharton and how important he's been to us, you know, so quickly since coming in. But I think Ahamada, I think I'm rubbish at pronouncing his name, so I'm going to keep mispronouncing it and and pronouncing it differently. But I think he uh, I think he came on and was excellent. I think this was the first time we saw him in the role that we bought him from Stuttgart from. You know, or if not, you know, that the closest thing to it, you know, he wasn't played out on the wing or as a right wing back or, you know, he wasn't basically shoehorned in anywhere. You know, I think Klansner kept it very simple. And I think, you know, maybe some of the other options to be a bit different were taken out of his hands by injuries. You know, who knows, maybe he would have sub Schlup or, or Hughes on before Ahamada, you know, if they were available to him. But, you know, the facts are they weren't there. So he went, oh, use the central midfielders on my bench. Ahamada and David Ozo, he picked Ahamada and he was brilliant. You know, he didn't set the world on fire, but he was brave. You know, he took the shot that led to the corner, that led to the goal. You know, the first goal, bit convoluted, I know. So, you know, it's not like he created anything from it, but, you know, it was his bravery and his, you know, self-belief, despite not having a lot of minutes, that I found really impressive. And I don't think we sort of missed a beat with Wharton going off the pitch. And I think that's the biggest credit we could give to him. In the ground, I wasn't actually scared or, or nervous as such for um, Walton going off when I found out when it transpired that it was Ahmada coming on because what I th- my initial thought was we're finally going to get to see him in the role that we brought him in for and I, I thought I thought he played mm. that role very very well I, I, th- I think um, defensively he was sound um, and going forward he, he had a nice out ball and, and he, he, he worked very hard and that's exactly at that stage of the game what is needed Wharton had to come off, um, I think it's fair to say, because he was a red card waiting to happen. I think he probably should have been off. Yeah. Even though I, I didn't think the first yellow was a yellow, actually. Um, but the second one I did think was a yellow. So it, it, if the referee thinks the first one's a yellow, he had to be sent off for that second. Um, so he had to get off the pitch as soon as possible. And I just think Ahamada was very impressive there. And um, touching on Franca, um, as Alex said, I thought he played the role very well. I think what helped was, so in the Glasner system, when you're defending, you go, let me explain this right. So the three, if you like, because you've got your two who play either side of the striker, they go a bit wider um, to defend and just offer you that extra cover. But the minute you attack, they come narrow. And that suited Franca a lot more than playing wide under Roy because he's not a winger. He's he's a, he's yeah. an attacking midfielder. So he was playing in a role that he played in, in Brazil. He knew what he was doing. He knew where to go with the ball. And he knew exactly what was expected of him in that role. And I just thought you saw another element to him than the cameos you'd seen when he come on at Newcastle and other games, if you like. It was really impressed with him. I, I just think going forward, he was good. And I think he arguably changed the game when he came on. It was a game that Palace were dominant in, but they were just missing that tiny bit of quality or they're missing that last touch in the final third because all the play they were doing was very good. And they were getting to the right position. They just couldn't put the ball in the back of the net. And Burnley were making it difficult for them. And he just offered you that something different and different and arguably won you the game. I do think as well that, firstly, I totally agree there with, with France's positioning. And I, that got me thinking about sort of a wider point about, you know, the fit with Glasner and our squad. 
because obviously, you know, we're not used to playing a back three and we're not used to playing wing backs um, just sort of in recent Palace history for the most part. But you look at the squad, especially sort of the most recent sign-ins, and this, this you know, setup, this formation massively benefits a lot of players. You know, Munoz, who we haven't touched on at all so far, was absolutely excellent. And this is the, the system that he thrived in in Belgium. You know, I think the double pivot with Lerma and Wharton, or whether it will be Wharton and Decore or Lerma and Decore, you know, I think it benefits all of our central midfielders. And then as for the forwards, you know, the, 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 the central areas that France will be able to sort of take up while still having the freedom to get a bit wider and sort of interchange with Mitchell a bit, you know, it, it massively benefits him. Um, so I just think, you know, in hindsight, now we've seen it in practice a bit, you know, this is a really, really good setup for a lot of our players and a lot of our younger players as well. You know, I, I completely trust, you know, when Raksaki's back from injury, when, um, you know, as and when he's able to be sort of eased into the squad again. I think this will be a, a way that he's able to benefit massively because, you know, he can go inside and out. He can sort of, you know, he can defend wide, as you say, the, the forwards are asked, asked to do. So I think... I say, yeah. you're, you're playing two centre-forwards and a striker, really, or two tens and a striker rather than two wingers and a striker, but they go wide just to provide that defensive cover. Describe them to others as half tens or half wingers interchangeably because that's how they feel. They kind of play a dual role that shifts based on the necessity in the game. Yeah, which suits a hell of a lot of them defensive shape. Ayu, for example, I think Ayu's much better when he's deployed um, narrow, but he's really got a high work rate defensively. So going wide, providing that cover for Mitchell or Munoz, whichever side he will play, because as we know, he moves around a hell of a lot. Um, that suits him. And the other things I want to pick up on that I think Liam makes good points on was uh, Munoz. Um, for me, I think that signing now, when I look back on it, was never a signing for Roy, really. Um, I think it was a move for the board when he became available and they needed to play hand by signing players because things had gone wrong. Um, I think if you look at all the managers they were targeting, all of them play with an attacking fullback either side. So it was bringing that in. It, it was long-term planning. And I think the Wardy injury kind of suited that because we all knew Roy never wanted a right back when he had Ward, Klein and Richards who could also play there. So I, I think that was long-term planning from them, that signing. And it's transpired that he will, he will play the rest of the season because they've made that managerial shift they weren't planning on making. And I think Jezra Maxaki as well, um, Alex, make, um, sorry, Liam makes a good point about, um, about he suits the system really well. But I think for me, he's not ready. Um, and I think it will be criminal if the ball don't find him alone in the summer. I just need to part that point because I think it is really interesting about Raksaki, but just in the interest of time, I want to move it along a bit. Um, yeah, so just a bit about Ayu. One thing I wanted to raise with him is a question that a lot of people have been asking is where does he fit in for the rest of the season when Alize is back? Because, you know, increasingly there's a lot of debate about whether he's rotational cover for the front three, whether he might actually be our best option up front, sort of doing the dirty work from the front and so on. Um, Liam, I really want to bring you in on this because I know you had some thoughts on this. So take it away. I mean, where does IU really play once Elise is back? It's difficult because, you know, on paper, you look at our fully fit 11 and you go, well, where does he go? You know, he's he's not he's not going to start over Eze and he's not going to start over Elise. But then you look at Mateta's form and you got to say from the looks of it, you know, especially with the way he used, Glasner used strikers at Frankfurt and Wolfsburg, I think Mateta suits this massively, but Ayu's been phenomenal. For the majority of the season, Ayu's been phenomenal in fairness. 
So I think it's very much a situation of, you know, it doesn't really matter where he goes, you fit him in, on current form anyway. You know, I think he, he's been really underrated this season and I think he's been a leader figure where we've missed a few. You know, I was quite critical of uh, Joachim Anderson a few weeks back because I, I don't see him as a leader through thick and thin per se. But I think Jordan Ayew is someone like that. You know, I think he's someone that will sort of lead by example, even if he scores a really important goal and stands there motionless afterwards. You know, I don't think he has to be massively emotive to be a captain or be a leader. And I think he's just been phenomenal. And I think, you know, we talk about someone like Mitchell's development and how he's sort of become, you know, going to have to be braver and take risks going forward and stuff. And I think having someone like IU on the pitch is huge for him because he's, you know, he's not told where to go exactly, but he's guided by IU's movement and IU's attitude. And I I, I can't speak highly enough of him this season. And I'm, I'm, Please for him more than anything, the goals are coming. So I think we just we fit him in wherever we can. And I think he's going to be a favourite under Glasner just because he will run his ass off every week. Yeah, no, I, I agree actually. I think talking about positions of where he could fit, you could see him playing left wing back. All right, you yeah. don't really want to drop tie, but you can see him fitting in there because because of the role that left wing back plays. He's strong defensively. Uh, and um he comes narrow and he attacks, so that, that could work. Um, you could see him playing nine instead of Mateta, but Mateta, if you look at the Glasner ball, if you like, he's kind of that Veghorst profile, if you like, so you don't really want to drop him. Or he could do that Joe Linton role at Newcastle where he was an attacker, but comes into midfield. So I think he's so versatile that you can kind of fit him in wherever because he's crucial to this Palace side. And this season he's been one of Palace's, if not Palace's best player. Guys, Ayu is the new schlup. He is the utility man off the bench. But nonetheless, whether he's, you know, on the bench or in the 11, you know, you just know he's going to make an impact. I mean, he ages like fine wine, honestly. when He, he looked washed when we got him on, on loan from Swansea all those years ago. And yet he's just grown and grown and grown. And it still feels like there's, if he's not hit it already, that there's some sort of ceiling he still has with us. It's insane. Um, really, really fine pickup. The value he's provided, he, he paid it back in a week. That goal against West Ham paid paid back the two and a half million pound. Honestly, he's just the the value the club got him from is just phenomenal. As he's been so vital to this football club standing in the Premier League as long as they have. I, I will say as well that's some that's somewhere that Roy deserves a hell of a lot of credit. Is I think, you know, I think he was massively responsible for picking IU up when he was sort of, you know, down in the dumps career wise. You know, I think he was very low on confidence at certain points. And I used to come out publicly and said, you know, he sees Roy as a bit of a father figure and stuff. But um, I think Roy was huge for sort of developing IU's game in a defensive sense, but also just in general, giving him that confidence back and sort of putting trust in the natural ability he's clearly always had, but he's unlocked as he's got older with us because he's felt comfortable and sort of believed in by Roy and the staff. So as much as, you know, there's been lots spoken about Roy, both positive and negative. I think that's something that's gone under the radar. And I think he's a player, I use a player that Roy's massively, you know, improved over his time with us. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I think that showed when um, Hodgson actually left the club um, after playing Everton because I did the interview with Palace TV and he was quite emotional when talking about Hodgson and uh, certainly that father figure as you, as you describe it and um, being Roy the man that regen- rejuvenated him, it, it really shows and it shows you how much time IU's got for Roy and how much respect IU's got for Roy. It, it was quite nice to see. 
Uh, absolutely. But unfortunately, we just need to wrap it up with one more thing. Um, just looking ahead to the next few games, obviously a huge critical run there for, for Palace. We've got the likes of Forrest and Luton coming up pretty soon. We have a vulnerable Newcastle and Spurs as well. And obviously Palace are travelling to a ground that they tend to really, really fall flat out, which is, the, of course, the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. So, Liam, just to, just to sort of wrap it up a bit, I mean, how do you see that game going? Well, I'm not going in with expectations for a result, but for the first time in ages, I know we're going to go there and we're going to, you know, give a decent account of ourselves. We're gonna we're gonna try and win the game, which sounds like such a ridiculous bare minimum. But I, I I'm not worried that we're going to go there and sort of cower behind the size of the stadium and, you know, accept the loss and sort of go, ah, oh, well, this one's a free hit. You know, uh, there's a chance we lose by three or four because Spurs can be an excellent side on their day and we're still adapting, et cetera, et cetera. But you know if we're going to lose, we're going to lose playing the way that Glasner wants us to play, you know, trying to win the game and, you know, really sort of putting our best foot forward. And I think, you know, I think we're never going to be happy when we win, uh, lose a game of football. But I think that's, that's all we can really ask for, isn't it? As fans, I think that's all we've been asking for is, you know, for us to go, this is our identity. This is how we're going to try and win games. And we're not going to cower to any side because of it. And, you know, I think that's really what most of us want and maybe expect from this Glasner era. You know, I've seen it described as all-out attack football by sort of neutrals on Twitter, but I don't think it's that at all. And an example of that is we kept Burnley to a much, much lower XG this this weekend than we did under Roy. And I think it was something like zero. It's the extra centre-back. Sorry, say again? It's the extra centre-back. It's the extra centre-back that does that for you. So you have the centre-back and the midfielders uh, stay back. So you've still got four players back, whereas under Roy, you would have four players back, that would, but they would have been the full-backs. Yeah, exactly that. And we, we, kept, we kept Bernie to 0.08 XG on Saturday. And under Roy at Turf Moor, they had 1.12. So, you know, while... You know, you can say home, you know, home advantage, blah blah blah. Anyone who watched that game could tell that, you know, everything about the way we played was different, and we weren't all out attack. We had a clear identity, and we didn't sacrifice it, you know, for anything. And I think that's all I want going to White Hart Lane or, or the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, whatever ridiculous thing they call it nowadays. I know we're going to go there with self belief. Anyway. Unfortunately, we need to just quickly park this. Um, I want to get your score predictions really quickly. Bobby, you had something outrageous. Go on. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to the game on Saturday. I, th- I think it's going to be a good game. I think Palace will go there to play and I think they will play. I think um, the potential to see Eze, whether that's for 90 minutes or half an hour at the end, whatever, um, the potential for Guy to start or Gerhi to start, whatever, whatever, however we're pronouncing it that's this week. That's on you, by the way. <laughs> um, I'm really looking forward to the game. Uh, I think it will be a good game. I think Palace will play. Um, and I think Palace will win 2-0. Wow. Liam, your thoughts? Uh, see, the issue I have is that I massively rate Ange and Spurs, as I'm sure you guys do as well, but mm. uh, I, I'm also fearful of Madison and, and Richarlison. And I, I'm naturally pessimistic when it comes to Palace anyway, but what I will say is... They've got key players out as well. Do they? Do they? Do I don't actually know anything about their, their team news coming into it. I think um, I think Poro and Udogi are out, so they're missing both their fullbacks. So so that well, they were out last week, and last time I looked, it said fifty percent chance of playing this week. Um, so you've got their two fullbacks. That's certainly an area Palace can try and exploit. Um, 
I, I give Palace a really good chance on Saturday, but yeah, what was your prediction there? Um, I think with with that information then, because I, I think their fullbacks are huge to the way they play. I, I, I'm going to two then. I, I believe in us to give a good account of ourselves, but I don't quite see us winning it. So I'd be buzzing if we came away with a point. Yeah, likewise. I, you stole my thunder because I was going to say, I, I think a, a high scoring draw, like an entertaining draw is really in the offing. So 2-2 two, two would have been my prediction too. And I, I, I'd be buzzing at the point, but I, I do think, I, for some reason, I just think they'll go over there and win. I, I think it it's the perfect time for Palace to win at Spurs when they haven't won there in how many years? Well, one thing I do know is if you're listening, you can join us next week to watch us all be absolutely pie-faced when we get thrashed 3-0 and destroyed on the counter. <laughs> um, I will be taking full advantage of the uh, the blackout in the UK because I'll be in Cork. So I believe I will be on the next episode. It's genuinely not at the stage where we've worked that out yet, which feels quite bad somehow. But anyway, all I do know is you'll be absolutely able to join us on the next one where we discuss all things Spurs, looking at Glasner, looking at how we really embed this system and a whole lot more. If you're not doing so already, please make sure you're following us on socials, particularly X at the Palace Way. It's all one word exactly as you'd expect. And if you're not doing so already, please make sure you visit our amazing, amazing content over at thepalaceway.com. We've put a lot of time and effort into making it a great user experience for you. We have a talented team of writers headed up by Bobby who are pumping out top quality articles, particularly on our youth teams, but a whole lot more. And you can check it all out at thepalaceway.com. We even have Wardle. If you don't know already, we have our very own Wardle. Yeah, Wardle. You can check it out there. Lots out this week there. Um, and we'd be delighted to have you along the way. So once again, if you could leave us a review as well, that'd be brilliant. Say what you want. Um, all feedback is welcome. I'll leave it there. Thank you very much for listening again. Stay safe, up the palace, and have a good one. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>